0: Hey, friends, this is Kat Lee, and you're listening to episode number 95 of the Inspired to Action podcast. And today we're talking with Allie Worthington about how to stop just being so busy, man. We're going to learn about how we can avoid burnout, how we can edit our lives to make it the best that it can be, and how to stop being worried about disappointing people, because that is definitely a struggle for so many of us. And Allie's going to talk about that today. Now, since the Inspired to Action podcast is all about encouraging and equipping you as a mom, I definitely want you to check out our show sponsor, Plan to Eat. I have been a paid user of theirs for years now, and I cannot imagine meal planning without them because they have these awesome drag and drop menus that make meal planning so easy, and they automatically take those meal plans and turn them into itemized and categorized shopping lists. And that pretty much sometimes just makes me want to cry tears of joy because if there's anything I don't like about grocery shopping, it's making the list. So definitely check them out. Go to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action. And you can get a free 30-day trial to check them out. And if you like them, you can also check out my mealplanningbootcamp.com, where it'll help you get started on the Plan to Eat site super duper fast. I have videos that walk you through everything. So definitely go check that out. Now let's jump into our show today with Allie Worthington. Hey, Allie, how are you doing today? Hi there, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to what we're talking about today. You have a new book out called Breaking Busy, How to Find Peace and Purpose in a World of Crazy. And if anybody knows crazy and busyness, it's moms. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you kind of, you 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 get a little special award in that department as well because you have, you have five boys?
1: Five boys. They are wow. seven to 17. And I'll just answer the questions in advance. None of them are twins. Um... Had them each a couple of years apart and yes, my husband and I knew what caused that. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it all the time. <laughs> and, and I may or may not have been hoping for a girl.
0: <laughs> well, I have to say, I, so I have two girls and one boy and I just, I had no idea, um, my, my boy is my youngest, I had no idea when I was pregnant with a boy, I kind of thought it was like my little gift to my husband. <laughs> and i had no clue about the bond between a mama and her son and oh yeah i just have to say the idea of five boys i know some people that might sound a little scary to me that just sounds magical so um that i just love it and i love your, the pictures in your car so if you guys want to check out ally on instagram what's your instagram um ally worthington okay super yeah. easy um, I love just the pictures where you squeeze all your kids into this picture. <laughs> Usually, it's on, I feel like it's on the way to church.
1: Yep, yep. It's our it's our church picture. It's something that we take every week just for us because we have a digital frame in the living room. So we like to watch pictures of ourselves scroll. So there you go. Fun. Okay, um, so
0: hey, for the moms then, listening, what what what's the digital frame? Because that sounds very interesting to me.
1: Um, you can just buy one on Amazon, a digital frame, and you put a um, an SD card in the side or a flash drive. And so we have a digital frame in our living room that has like 900 pictures on it. Oh, wow. So there's pictures of all five of the boys from when they're little to when they're big. But then I'll also put my Instagram pictures on there of the kids. And a lot of times we'll, we'll just walk through the living room and stop and stare at it for mm-hmm. a few minutes. And we'll talk about the great memories and things like that. So that's one of my favorite things.
0: I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So for, for us particularly people listening who might not already know you. Can you just do a little quick intro? We already did the five boys, but tell us yeah. a little bit more about yourself.
1: Um, I have an interesting story. I was a stay-at-home mom for over a decade. I started blogging and in about 2007. In 2008, I started an online magazine, and I started an events company called Blistem that I closed down in 2013. Um, I've been a consultant, and now I'm serving as the executive director of Propel Women. It's Christine Kane's new organization. I
0: love it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that journey that you took through all of that. And, and actually, I would love, if we could just kind of start back at the beginning, I'd love to know how you got started blogging initially.
1: Well, it's interesting. Exactly 10 years ago this month, I was in a bookstore, and I thought, I should write a book, but I had no idea what the book was going to be about, but I just got excited, thinking, yeah, I I could write a book, Um, you know, just one of those thoughts that goes through your head, so went to the internet, of course, and Googled because if I had a superpower, it would be my ability to Google information, and and I Googled how do you get a book published, and the answer was well, you're you have to be famous or infamous or well connected, and I wasn't any of those things. I was a in my mind just a stay home mom, right? So my next Google search result was well, uh, or the next search result under that really depressing one was what if you start a blog and you prove that you have something to say that people care about, then publishers may be interested in you. So my next Google search was, what's a blog? And it was a, it was about a year after that that I finally got serious about it and thought, okay, I'm going to go back to that blogging thing and see what that's all about. And that started my journey. I'm a big believer that God puts us on paths and gives us little hints along the way. And um, for me to fulfill my calling, all the things that I was supposed to do. It's just, you know, dropping little hints along the way. And I think sometimes hints come by the way of Google.
0: (laughs) So if that was 10 years ago, you were in the thick of parenting.
1: I was, I was.
0: And pregnant with at least one, well, Um, soon to be pregnant. Yeah, I was, I
1: was between a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, and, we not only had a bunch of kids, but all through my 20s, my husband used to run hospital laboratories. So when, so he would go to a new state or a new city every two years to work at this new hospital lab and turn it around. And then, of course, go find another one to turn around. So it was just babies and moving boxes and just a blur of craziness.
0: And you added blogging to the whole mix.
1: Because, well, it, you know, I found myself intellectually bored and lonely because you know when you have small children somebody's always sick so you can't leave the house. Um, So for me that was my way that I found community. Um, You know I I could roll into a new town and we could be there a week but I still had my friends that lived in the computer.
0: So you started blogging, you found this online community and then you kind of developed your own offline community or a conference. Called kind of tell us how you you went from being a blogger to hosting bloggers. Well,
1: it's a funny story. Um, I was in Nashville. My youngest son, who's now seven, he was a newborn and a blogging conference was supposed to come to town. So the original thought was after that conference, we would just have a little get together. That conference ended up canceling right before the event. So we decided, hey, we'll just do our own that day. And it was Totally low-key. It was in a closed restaurant and bar in an airport hotel. I mean, it was cheesy. Um, and the funny thing is, now I look back, that was in 2008, and I look back and those out of those 80 people that were there, it's so many people who were new to, um, to blogging, and you know, we're all just getting started, but it's people who, you know, now a lot of people know, like Tish Oxenrider and you know Nestor and Emily Freeman. I mean, it was just all of us. Back in the day, not having any clue what we were doing, Um, but I had a great business partner who formerly had been in the music industry, so she knew how to create big events. So she took care of kind of the business side of events, and I took care of content and creating culture and community, and um, it, it
0: grew and
1: became a really successful event in the U.S. and Canada.
0: So how did you balance that? How did you balance having a newborn and soon-to-be toddler and then your other four boys and running a conference, and I'm assuming you still did your blog during this yep. whole season as well?
1: I, I didn't do it well. I didn't take care of myself at all during those years. And um, I generally worked all the time. I took great pride in the fact that I worked all the time. Mm. You know, So if I went to sleep before 1 a.m., it was a huge feat for me. Um, and I went on that way for years and years and years, which led to my burnout and reevaluating everything, um, because I used to think if I was online, because my business was online, so if I was online, whether I was goofing off on Twitter or Facebook or Pinterest or whatever, that I was actually working, but I had to learn and realize, you know there's a difference between working on your spreadsheet and goofing off on Pinterest for three hours.. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was always
0: telling myself that I was so busy. So I know some of us listening yeah, uh, are in those early stages. You know, maybe newborn, maybe small kids, and they want to be intellectually stimulated. So maybe they're looking at starting a blog or being more active on social media and being intentional and purposeful. What advice would you give to those moms now based on what you've gone through? Well,
1: let am here's what I feel. I feel really, I feel like it's important to share this one thing. If when I was a young mom with all those kids, if Pinterest were around, I think I would have been miserable. So we, there's this whole business behind blogs that do crafts and show great dinner parties and have great photography that whether whether women say it out loud or not, we almost feel like we have to live up to that. Hmm. You know, we can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a business. It's a it's a lighting studio. There's, lo- there's multiple people making, you know, that life-size Olaf cake. Um, <laughs> but if I was a mom and Pinterest was around, a young mom, and Pinterest was around and I was thinking, oh, this is the way to be a good mom, I would have driven myself crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing is just keep in mind that, you know, Pinterest is great and all those Ideas are great. You know, however you want to go about life, wonderful. But keep in mind that it's not real. Um, And then for those of us who do care for a lot of children and do find ourselves intellectually bored, um, getting involved in an online community is key whether it's through a book club or um, starting your first blog, but being really intentional about it. So you're not passively ta- scrolling through other people's lives and passively scrolling through Pinterest. And what happens just because we're human is we end up feeling bad about ourselves eventually because no one can live up to that that idea of perfection that's out there on the internet right now. Um, but be really intentional about it and connect. That's, that's the biggest thing.
0: So you started Blistem, it was a huge success, the biggest women's blogging conference of its kind, correct? Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and then you started to feel the burnout. Take us a little bit into that part of your journey because I'm sure that you know it was, there, were, there were the glory years and then <laughs> there were the years of burnout when you realized, hey, this maybe isn't the direction I'm supposed to go.
1: Well, the burnout came for me, it was actually after Blistem. So I was consulting and doing business coaching but I think I had just taken so many years running so hard that I believed that I could just set my mind to things and I had, you know, unlimited amounts of capacity and I could I could do anything I wanted. At this time I was working, um, Mark was working, we both were teaching Sunday school. I was we led a small group in our home. He was always doing peewee football. I mean, it was it was craziness all the time. And one one day I looked at him and said, I just can't do it anymore. I'm doing more than I've ever done. I feel like I'm achieving more than I ever have, but I, I hate it. Like, I'm burnt out. I just I want us to sell everything and get an RV and live off the land, I mean, <laughs> except for Wi-Fi and gas. <laughs> and, and he just kind of laughed and said, yeah, you know, in that way men do. I'm feeling it, too. I'm glad you feel that way. Like, look, let's see what we need to do. And for us, we, we had to start learning how to edit our lives.
0: How did you do that?
1: Well, we took a look at all the things that we say yes to, I mean, a a great way to start all the things we say yes to that we know at the time we don't want to do. I mean, it's for everyone. It's way easier to say yes in the moment and then just resent it or be miserable later when we actually have to fulfill our commitments. So, just little things like that are key. we We stopped teaching on Sunday morning. My husband honestly wasn't a good teacher for the middle school boys, and I think it was a relief to everyone. Um, and what what we learned in that process is, when you're the type of person that says yes to everything, because, I mean, heaven forbid any of us get told we're selfish, right? Or, you know, we just we 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 have the kind of heart where we want to help people, so we say yes to everything even things we really shouldn't be doing, even things that are too much to fit on an already full schedule in this season, we really take that opportunity away from somebody else who would love to do that, but hasn't yet stepped up. Mm -hmm. And we all feel like, well, if I don't do it, who will? Well, someone else will. But if the same people are always saying yes and taking on all the responsibility, nobody ever will. But those people with the best intentions to help people out and to take on more responsibility
0: will inevitably, inevitably be burnout. How did you decide what to say, what you should say yes to? Um, it, it sounds,
1: <laughs> it's not really helpful. It doesn't fit into a point that's going to help people because it sounds really Christian-y. But we prayed about it primarily. And we prayed that it would become obvious over the next few months all the things that we needed to let go of. And for us, one of the things that we let go of is my husband and I both separately started feeling like he should stay be a stay home dad. So we went from you know spending over a decade with him being the um, breadwinner and me being a stay home mom. You know he has his MBA. If you had told him ten years ago he was going to retire and stay home with children, he would have laughed, and so would I. Um, but God moved our hearts in that way that he decided to stay home with the boys. So he's primary caretaker of all the boys
0: now. Um, So let's, let's go back into the whole journey of Blistem. Yeah. Because that was huge for you. Uh, You had lots of accolades for your success with, um, with Blistem. And then you felt like God wanted you to lay that down. Take us a little bit into that journey it's
1: awful. I even, if when I talk about it now, it's been years ago and I talk about it now, I still kind of get a little bit sweaty. Um, it, Blistem was the the thing that, not really the first thing in my life that I felt really successful with, you know, other than being a mom. Um, it provided a lot of income for the family. It provided a great network for other people. I, one thing that I loved about Blistem is, a large group of Christians and non Christians would get together and have a big party um, where it wasn't, it, it was something that every year people would say, I was scared to come because I knew there were so many Christians here, but you guys were great. Mm. You know, I loved that. And I love the fact that we were just bringing great people together. They would learn from each other. Every year we'd come back and they would say, This is the business I started, or This is how my life has changed since last year. So I loved it. In 2012, I went to a a leadership conference and when you run an event you're always looking at speakers and lights and you know you're thinking of little things to steal just being honest (laughs) and in at one point I was praying asking God about the direction and the theme for next year and I heard in my spirit clear as day two words quit blistem and you know sometimes when you hear stuff you just you just know that you know that you know and I knew And on the way home, I told God that I needed signs. I told God that I was going to be a submissive wife. And whatever my husband said to do, um, we would just do, right? And I was hoping that he would be my out. I was hoping that he would say, like, no, that's crazy. Absolutely not. You can't put everything on the line and just walk away. So I went home, told him everything. and, And he backed up what I heard and said, hey, you heard it. You got to do it, basically. So I wish I could say that I, I immediately announced to everyone that I was done, but I really, I drugged my feet for about a year. I, I didn't want to let everybody down. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, financially it was going to hurt a lot of people for this company to close. And um, And just being really honest, I thought that my value to... The online community and this community that I built, I thought it was completely tied to that. And so when the conference was no more, people weren't going to really be interested in me anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so it it took me it took me a really miserable year full of with me being disobedient before I finally um, before I finally obeyed and we we closed down the event.
0: What are some of the things that helped you overcome those hurdles? Because, you know, I've talked to actually quite a few people lately who, for different reasons, feel like God is leading them to step down from things mm-hmm. um, and, and to, to kind of pare back a little bit. But one thing that I hear over and over again is worrying about disappointing other people. Um, and, and you had, yeah. I mean, it was a company. And like you said, people's financial futures were tied to your company. How did you move beyond that? how did you... Deal with that?
1: Well, for as much as I wanted to convince myself that I, I told myself I wasn't disobeying because I was eventually going to, I just wasn't ready yet. I was waiting for God to kind of send me a memo to say, well, here's what's next. Great job. Um, but that memo didn't come. He wanted me to actually obey him. And he kept sending people in my life, um, strong Christians and some non-Christians who would give me the same message over and over again. And, and it was some form of, you think you're going to fail, but if you obey and it is God's will, you're going to fly. Hmm. And, I, you know, it was said in different ways, but it was always that same theme. Like, you have to learn to trust God. If this is what God has told you to do, it's going to be okay. And. Um, I really couldn't escape all the encouragement, which made me really angry at the time, all the encouragement that kept coming my way. So for me, I had to learn that I wanted what God wanted for my life more than what I wanted for my own life. And it just took months to get there. And I'm the type of person, once I make a decision, I just want to announce it to the world um, and just get it over with. So, So we made a big public announcement that it was closing down and... We had hundreds, if not thousands, of really disappointed email and messages. and you know some people were hurt. some people were angry, most people were confused. I never said publicly, "Hey, God told me to shut it down because for Christians, they go, "Oh, great, you're playing the Jesus card, right?" Mm-hmm. And then for non-believers, they're like, well, you you might as well say you have two heads because that doesn't even that doesn't even work for them." So, you know, everybody that knew me and, you know, it's probably a group of, I don't know, 20 or 30 people close to me, they all knew what was going on and walked with me through these, this decision to to finally announce. But to everyone else, I just had to say, I'm sorry, this, this is what we need to do. Um, I'm glad you were part of it with us, you know, you know, build new conferences, go to other conferences, continue to be a community. Um, we just can't do it anymore.
0: If you had it to do over, would you do it the same way that you did it?
1: <sighs> hmm. That's a great question. Well, I think it would be easy for me to say, well, I would have obeyed right then and there. Hmm. Um, but I think that year of disobedience and that year of me deciding, no, I really want what God wants for me was worth it. I needed that year to grow up. And I look back on it now, and I was a little too big for my britches back then. I I needed a lot of humbling. I needed to clear out some sin in my life. I needed needed growth. And that terrible year of mishandling what I was called to do gave me the growth that I needed.
0: Now, when you stepped away from Blistem, did Mm -hmm. you know what was next? Were you stepping away from it to step into something, or were you stepping away from it out of sheer obedience?
1: Sheer obedience. I was literally stepping off the ledge into nothingness because at that point Mark had retired. So I'm the breadwinner. And that was the thing. I I really thought that once I obeyed, something would pop up and I would know what I was supposed to do next. I mean, I kept thinking it's completely irresponsible of me just to say goodbye to everything. I mean, how am I going to support my family? And so I did what everyone does when you're not sure what's next career wise. I consulted and did business coaching because that, you know, helping people scale a business larger or start a business from the ground up just is second nature to me from Listem. So, um, I, you know, basically hung out my online shingle for coaching and consulting and what seemed like it at the time, it was miraculous that clients came because, In my mind, I'm like, great, we're going to be living in a van down by the river. (laughs) Um, And so I did that for about a year and a half.
0: So you stepped away from Blistem. You Mm -hmm. didn't know exactly what you're stepping into next. Um, And now you have this amazing role of being the executive director of Propel. Mm -hmm. How did that come
1: about? Oh, it's such a funny story. I met Christine socially. Um, in 2013, and heard her preach, and thought, "Okay, well, this woman makes me want to stand up on my chair and yell." <laughs> and I'm Southern Baptist; we don't do that. <sighs> and she, um, we were at a gathering, um, and the first time she met me, she um, she walked around a table and came up to me and said, "I'm thinking about building something new, and I hear you're who I should talk to about it." And my response was, yes, I am, because what, what else am I going to say, right? And so she told me about this concept she had for a women's leadership initiative, so helping women lead others to Christ, whether they're executives in a company or they're homeschooling moms, you know, wherever, wherever God's put you, he's called you to lead. And I said, great, I'm a consultant, so giving my advice without doing any work is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I'll give you advice all day long. And, um, so just, I advised that just for fun, wanted to, you know, kind of loan my insight to her. And in spring of 2014, her and her husband came to Nashville and took me out to dinner. And I'm, I'm telling her these, you know, three people who I think should run it for her and giving her all this info. And she finally interrupts me and says, no, it's you. And I said, absolutely not. That is a terrible idea. I've never had a job. You don't want any of this." And so it went on for well over an hour of her insisting, it's me, me insisting, no way. <laughs> um, and so I told her that Jesus would have to tell us both separately that it's me. Cause I say no. And she said, Jesus is just going to have to tell you, which is the way an evangelist is right. Um, went home, sat my husband down, just like I did, you know, two years before about him, and said, Hey, got to run something by you. And, um, Told him everything that was going on, and he said, "Well, who is she?" Because he had never heard of her, and I said she's kind of the female Pentecostal Billy Graham. And he went, "Well, that sounds cool." <laughs> and he said, "I think you better do it." So I I jumped off a ledge. I mean, the first job I've ever had was was running Propel for her, and that was that was a year and a half ago now, and um, it's been great, absolutely great. But I never I never could have said yes to this new season of my life at Propel had I not obeyed God when it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Because if I was still running Blistem, I would think, well, why would I do any, I'm not doing anything else. I mean, this was my heart. This was my love, but there was so much maturing, so much I needed to edit out of my life to be able to do this. I never could have done it had I not obeyed.
0: You know what I love the most about your journey and your story, and and you use this little phrase in your book, and I I, I underlined it, and I don't always write in my books, but I underlined it. Oh, I love to hear that. (laughs) You said you quit to wait. And I just think, I don't know, there's something about that that resonates with me because so often we want to know the next thing. We want to have everything in order and our ducks in a row and we want to quit to do something. And I love, love, love what that says about you and your trust in the Lord and and where he's taking you that you just quit just because he said, even though it didn't make sense, even though people were, you know, upset and didn't understand, you quit to wait on him. Well, and That's That's just powerful.
1: Thank you. And it's, it's one of these lessons for me that I think applies to everyone. Um, I believe so much that there is a life that we're called to live. We all have a purpose. Uh, You know, sometimes people think purpose is just related to work and it's not. Um, We have a life that we're meant to lead. But if we are, if we're afraid to let other people down, if we are afraid to not be all things to all people, honestly, we can miss it. And had I not finally obeyed what he told me to do, I would have missed the purpose in this season of my life, which is um, helping with Propel. Um, I'm a big believer that we we have a different purpose really in, in each season. So my my purpose in my 20s was being stay at home mom, taking care of the kids and you know, if someone had told me when I was 25 that I would ever have a job or ever have started a company, I would have laughed in their face. All I ever wanted to be growing up was a stay-at-home mom and a big and have a big family. Um, but God has great plans for us, and if we can break out of these cycles of busyness and learn to hear Him and learn to pay attention to His leading. He's going to do amazing things in our lives, and we're going to, we're going to go through different seasons that just knock our socks off, um, and it's, it's an adventure.
0: So you mentioned breaking out of the cycle of busyness. I mm-hmm. know that so many of us listening are in that cycle of business and you have a lovely little hamster wheel. I just realized <laughs> that's what it was on the front of your book.
1: I wanted a little bit of whimsy on the book. I, I had to really fight like, can we just have a little hamster wheel, please?
0: Well, I just realized, I, you know, I've been looking at the book. I had my daughter. My daughter was actually obsessed with taking pictures of the book because I handed it to her. I was in the Yay. car. And I handed it to her and, and her name is Allie. And she's like, I love her name. And so she took all these pictures and half of them were close-ups of your first name. That's Uh, great. Well, tell her I love that. (laughs) Well, so I just realized that that it's a hamster wheel. And so many of us listening to you share your story feel like we're on that hamster wheel. Yeah. And we even know how to get off. But we're afraid. We are afraid of those disappointments. We're afraid of the pride. and, And some of us don't even know exactly how to get off. And you talk in your book about, you know, calling it editing your life and, and the different kinds of edits that we can do. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, there's two main types of edits. There's proactive edits, and those are the ones we make in advance before things get crazy and out of control. Now, a reactive edit, on the other hand, those are the ones we make once a crisis hits. It's a reaction to something that's gone wrong. Um, And generally, most reactive edits aren't good. So a proactive edit, the reason why proactive edits are so hard is you have to make them in advance. And very often, you have to let other people down. You have to look people in the eye and tell them no. You have to say, I'm sorry that doesn't work for me right now. You have to let go of an opportunity that's good because you know you're not meant to do it. Whereas a reactive edit, that's kind of overcommitted schedule. That's saying yes to too many people. That's filling your schedule too much. That's, you know, that's when you're up at 1 a.m. making organic gluten-free cookies <laughs> for the whole class and you're like, forget it. I'm just going to go buy some store-bought cookies in the morning. But a proactive edit in that case will be like, I'm just going to buy those cookies in advance and get a good night's sleep. Um, so the, So the key for editing is to really look at your life and and figure out you know if i if i if i just ask myself what do i wish what do i secretly wish i didn't have to do anymore now that doesn't mean like playing board games or vacuuming (laughs) but big things in life what if i just shut my eyes and think what would i secretly be so relieved not to have to do anymore It normally gives us a good indication of what we need to edit out. And if I could say it a million times you know, this year, I hope I get to, is to remind people when you say yes to things that aren't in your calling, that you aren't created to do, that don't give you life, that you don't enjoy, you take away the opportunity of other people who will actually love those things. You take away that opportunity for them to step up and do it.
0: I love that. That that statement in and of itself battles those feelings of, dis, you know, fearing disappointment and, and all that because, you know, the, the thing that often keeps us back from, we don't even want to do the things in the first place, but we're afraid of letting other people down. But with that perspective that you give, it changes all that because it's not about letting people down. It's about now giving people an opportunity to step up.
1: Because we're all so different. I mean, the things that I like that... Um, restore me, that make me happy. They're completely different than everyone else. I mean, uh, I ha- a lot of my girlfriends, they love to cook. They love to make fancy meals. They love to, they, you know, they sew and they knit. I can't do any of that. I don't want to do any of that. It's just, it's not my jam. If I do that, it, honestly, everyone will suffer, but I'm unusual in that sense. Um, cause I think a lot of women love to do things like that. So, I just my message is a message of freedom. What we love to do, let's run with it. But things we don't love to do, let's not do it. I mean, if if there's a party at school, I'm all about making the spreadsheet of who's going to do what, and you know, being on communications for it and getting it organized. But don't ask me to make cookies. You know, if 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 my job is cookies, they're going to be store bought, and that's okay. Um, Everybody has things that they're passionate about, that they love to do, that they have that gift, Mm -hmm. and we need to honor that in ourselves and other people.
0: So um, a mom's first step in editing could even be listing out what they love to do and then making another list of what they really don't like to do. Absolutely. Um, I like to call it a stop doing list. Mm.
1: So there are things that we know we say yes to that we can't stand. We just sucks the life out of us. We drive to the responsibilities and we're mad because we don't want to do it. Um, So that would be one of those things you put on a stop doing list. The things in life that you know aren't helping you. They're not adding anything to your life. You you put them on a post-it note, put them on a note card. And every time the opportunity comes up for you to do those things, it's a reminder. Stop doing those things. Those don't work for me because everybody Everybody can say yes to everything, and then we're all going to be miserable. We have to make the conscious decision to say yes to what we're actually called to do, what we're created to do.
0: And, you know, I think one of the draws of doing everything is that we can either take pride in the fact that we do everything, or we can take pride in the fact that we do something excellently. That's right. And, but we can't do both. No. Mm -mm. Because if you, if you do
1: everything and you're overstretched and overcommitted all the time, um, you're always going to just feel like um, you're not measuring up, mm-hmm. which makes it worse because the feeling of not measuring up is a lot of times what lends itself to busyness. I mean, if if busyness was just about time management, we wouldn't, need, we wouldn't still be busy. I mean, busyness is really connected to this culture we live in that says you have to be more, you have to do more and achieve more um, to find your worth. And it makes us all perfectionist. It makes us want to be the perfect parent or the perfect wife. It's you know, it's it's an unhealthy cycle that we get in, and sometimes we don't even realize we're in it until until we're burnt out.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think again about that phrase that you wrote to quit to wait, and it, it makes me think about. So I live in Waco, Texas, and mm-hmm. do, do you? It, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Waco, Texas? Time. Well,
1: now it's Fixer Upper. Okay, but well that, yeah, that's that's what is, I'm going for. not as lovely. Right.
0: So <laughs> I live in the land of Fixer Upper. And um, one thing that I love about Joanna Gaines' story is that she started um, her store way back in the day. And it was a little store down on Bosque Boulevard in Waco, Texas. And, it, you know, she had wanted to open the store for forever. And she opened it, and it was great. And then she just felt like God was calling her to close it. And just, you know, be at home with her kids. And it felt ridiculous to her because it was exactly what she'd always wanted to do. And then she's just closing it. And it didn't make sense. And so in a sense, she was quitting to wait. And and then, you know, God opened up these other doors. Now she's doing more than she ever even imagined would be possible. And, And God really took you on that same journey. And I think while there's so much power in editing, I think... Um, another element just of your story and of so many women's stories is that whole idea of just t- kind of taking a timeout like in basketball, you know, everything could be going great, but you know, sometimes we just need to take a timeout to make sure that we're on the right track to make sure that we're doing our game plan and not just reacting to other people's stuff. Um, and I just, I just love that element of your story. Just the idea of stopping uh, just because God said, and just, to listen to him. And I'm curious to know in that season, what did you do? What, what were you pursuing, I guess, in your relationship with him? How are you listening to him for the next thing?
1: Oh, I was kind of like a spoiled child in that season. So I would go, I would go back and forth between fear and anger with him for months. Um, and one morning the Mark had, you know, gotten all the kids off to school and I had coffee and my Bible and my journal and I was about to start my day and my day was going to be full of coaching clients. Um, I started crying and I put my head down on my table and just muttered to him about how hard everything was and how um, how miserable I was, honestly. And he said in my spirit, get up and live like I'm going to take care of you and i went what 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 and my problem was i i obeyed but i was mad and i was mad because i didn't have the answers i didn't know what was coming next he wouldn't tell me what was next and i didn't trust him so that was my next hurdle i had to overcome i had to learn that i had to love him Trust him, obey him—not just with my actions, but with my heart. And and for me, I've looked back on so many times in my life where I have obeyed him with my actions, but not my heart. Mm. And until I got both of those things in line, things weren't going to start clicking for me, and I wasn't going to overcome this this frustration
0: and this sadness that that I had. That really resonates with me because I have a teenager. And the idea of obeying, but not necessarily obeying with your whole heart when it comes to room cleaning and stuff like that gives me a visual picture of what I am actually doing when I'm obeying the Lord, but not with my whole heart. Yeah, it's a great, great way to view it. And I realize, you know, as then as the mom, what my children are missing out on when they're not responding fully, you know, fully obediently, you know, quickly, cheerfully, and completely with, with their whole heart, you know, if they were responding in joy, I would then respond differently. And different opportunities would open up to them that aren't opening up because they're not responding with their whole heart. Um, and so just, you know, just as you were sharing that, it just made me made me think about that and really gave me something to to chew on. I love that. Um, okay, so Allie, I'm so thankful that you could join us today. I'd love for you to just to tell us Where can people find you online and where can they get your new book, Breaking Busy?
1: Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, My website is AllieWorthington.com. And the website for the book is BreakingBusy.com.
0: Awesome. So... There are moms listening right now who are about to get off the treadmill and go wake up their kids or their kids are napping and they're about to finish folding laundry and go get them up from their nap or pick them up from school. And they're about to get back into the thick of it, back into the busy. What words of encouragement would you give to them right now?
1: Um, Well, encouragement for young moms is so important. Mothers of young children, um, the more you love them, it pays off forever right now. the You know, the more you, you snuggle and you encourage, it pays off. The more you go through the agony of forcing them to be responsible for themselves, again, pays off in spades. The more you you um, force them to take on chores and, and all of the things that they don't want to do, it pays off. You just have to live through your children doing it terribly. You know, we have to be willing to live through the pain of them doing things so badly. Um To really get them to where we want them to be Um, but don't give up even when like for me all my boys they do the dishes so they unload and load they've been doing it for a decade but I can't say that my plates and my mugs aren't chipped Um, that's just part of getting them through that that messy process Um, but it's so worth it in the long run
0: very good I love that Allie well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much. It was great to be here. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast.
1: It's going to be a God day, a God day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercies. May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way by His Spirit. With each breath that I take, it's feeling like a God day.